Hey, food friends, and welcome to the Food Founders Podcast, your number one spot to get mentoring, guidance, and behind the scene learnings to help you understand what it really takes to launch, grow, and scale your packaged food or beverage business. On the show, you'll hear from food founders at various stages of growth, and you'll hear from me and my 14 years of packaged food and beverage experience. Each episode is packed with insights, inspiration, and learning to help you on your food business journey. I'm your host, Ainsley, and this is the Food Founders Podcast. Before we jump into today's show, I want to thank our sponsor, the Food Brands That Sell program. Food Brands That Sell is a six-week deep dive into the CPG industry and teaches you how to win within that industry by creating a brand that you, retailers, and consumers love. Here's what a recent alumni had to say about the program. I am so grateful that I chose to do Food Brands That Sell. I learned so much about myself, my journey, and my company. These six weeks changed how I'm doing my business, and I can see the difference already. I no longer feel alone. If you aren't already on the waitlist, hop on over to foodbrandsthatsellwaitlist.com or grab the link below to make sure that you are first to know when the program is accepting new students. All right, let's dive into today's episode. Hey, food friends, and welcome to the Food Founders Podcast. Today, I'm excited to have Abby Ann Sala here, who is the founder of Catspring Yopan. Avian, welcome to the Food Founders Podcast. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to have you here. We chatted a few weeks ago about everything mm-hmm. that you're doing over at Cat Spring Yopon. And I just think it's fan- it's a fantastic story and love what you guys are doing in so many different ways. So can you just kick it, kick it off, open us up with what is Cat Spring Yopon and what are you guys all about? Sure. So <laughs> that is a question we get a lot. What is Yopon? Well, we like to say it's Texan for tea, but simply it's the only caffeinated plant native to North America. And we sustainably wild harvest it here in Texas, uh, in a small town called Cat Spring, Texas, between Houston and Austin. And it's a cousin plant of yerba mate or wayusa. It's the North American cousin. So it has a really rich history consumed for millennia by virtually every tribe along the Gulf Coast in the U.S., now now the U.S., and even traded across what's now America and Mexico. We first became aware of it about 10 years ago during a really bad drought here in Texas. I mean, we've always known the plant. It's kind of a nuisance, but first became aware of it, just incredible legacy and its health benefits. So it's really rich in antioxidants, um, polyphenols, it's natural anti-inflammatory and all these amazing other benefits. And so, yeah, I've been commercially selling it for about nine years now. And then we use it as a platform for dignified employment in our rural community. Okay, so many pieces to unpack here. Um, <laughs> okay, so my first question for like personal and, and everyone else here, like what does it taste like? So uh, we have three different preparation methods. We have a green, a medium roast, and a dark roast. So the green is going to be pretty similar to a Japanese green. But what's interesting about Yopan is it's naturally tannin-free. Tannins are it gives most teas that astringency, so or the bite. So it's going to be a little bit smoother. And then the medium is going to be closest to like an oolong. And then the 
dark roast will be like a Japanese hojisha or, you know, where we are, and I mean, in Texas, most of the tea consumption is ice. So we have a lot of uh, restaurants that serve our dark roast as their iced tea. And a lot of people don't even realize that it's not tea. They just notice that they don't have to cut it with sugar or milk, that sort of thing. Because it's just, um, yeah, just a lot smoother. Okay. So it's a taste that people are familiar with for sure as mm-hmm. they're having it. Mm-hmm. How did such a powerful plant get forgotten for so long in, you know, in America? Yeah. So this, <laughs> this is a really big, big question. <laughs> and if you have time, there's a recent 40 page anthropological study published on it out of the Cambridge press, but it really was, um, it's been a beverage of what they're saying are kind of the oppressed people for the last couple millennia. So, you know, every indigenous people had a tradition with it. Some of it, it was ceremonial, some it was daily, but it was, you know, and traded. So it was, it was valued. I mean, it's found thousands of miles from its growing region, traces of it in ceremonial pottery, all the way to like St. Louis and Arizona. But then with the explorers, so the Spanish loved it and actually um, exported it back to Spain. There's accounts of Spanish sailors um, drinking copious amounts of it before they go into a storm so that they can stay awake all night. Um, and uh, then with the English, <laughs> we all remember the Boston Tea Party. They didn't want anything to disrupt the power of the tea trade. And they've named it, uh, the, and some historians now say that the Scottish botanist who named it was employed by Ceylon tea traders at the time. The scientific name of it is Ilex vomitoria. It has no emetic properties, but it was part of some ceremonial purification rituals. And even though they were drinking it regularly, they named it vomitoria because of that. And so a lot of people thought it had, it was toxic. Um, in fact, I've had to work with the USDA to get some of that misnomer removed um, from some of their documentation even. Then it became a, a yoponer was actually a derogatory term for people on the Outer Banks that were too poor to afford imported tea. So it's always been a kind of considered lower class in American history. And then it had a bit of a resurgence during the Civil War uh, because of all the blockades and that sort of thing. And then the USDA tried to promote it during World War II as a viable caffeine product. But it had such a negative connotation of being a poor man's drink uh, that it really didn't take off. And then there's now histories that they're finding that um, actually a lot of the slaves in the South would grow their own yopon because obviously a, a caffeine source was hugely important for their long hours um, and hard labor. Oh, what a history of this. <laughs> like, seriously, there is such a rich history in this and a lot of people still don't know about it. And mm-hmm. it seems like there is obviously a lot of baggage to kind mm-hmm. of get rid of with promoting this mm-hmm. so like talk to me about that that's that's not an easy feat you're basically taking no. something that has like some you know forgotten history some negative connotation with the history sure kind of bring it you know full yeah. force today that's yeah not easy. talk to me about that no and, and I think it's it is hard to do and that's something that we've been really intentional about wanting to be as respectful as possible because there is a lot of history of oppressed and marginalized people um, that are tied to this plant. And, you know, we've been from the beginning have sent out samples to different elders and different tribes that had a tradition to get their feedback and their blessing on how we share the yopon. I mean, my family um, is 
Chickasaw, but I wasn't raised in that tradition. So I don't actually put it anywhere on our website, but we have worked with them and, you know, are Pond's available at their visitor center and, and that sort of thing. It's, I think it's, I don't, I can't say that we figured it out yet. I think it's something that we just have to keep being intentional and respectful of. And it feels like something that needs to be a bigger conversation. It would never be a tagline, right? Because that feels uh, <laughs> a little bit inappropriate uh, for sure. Uh, but I think it's, yeah. So if you have any suggestions, anyone that's listening, <laughs> please reach out. We haven't figured out how to do it well or how to do it right. And um, it's something that we're very, very aware of. But you know, we're, one of the hard parts is that it's the Karen Kawas in our region that had a tradition with it, but they were mislabeled as being cannibals and were pretty much fully eradicated in our region in Texas. So there's very, very few Karen Kawa descendants still around. We've had conversations with some of them, but uh, there's not anything to officially partner with in in a way that would make sense. And you know, what's so sad is like if you look at like Yerba Mate or Wayusa, for example, the South American cousins, they have a, a, a non-disrupted tradition with the Yopan. Um, whereas where we are, most of the traditional drinkers were largely eradicated or forced to relocate. Um, and Yopan doesn't grow in Oklahoma. So they, it really is just a totally disrupted tradition. And so what we've, we're also in a weird position in that we're having to rely on outsider accounts because it's mainly the explorers and the Westerners historical records that survive. So, yeah. I mean, what you're doing, like it, it is so important for the um, American history in so many different ways. And mm-hmm. I think that that is so fantastic and definitely not an easy feat. You mentioned before, I know that you um, have built right into your company, really focusing on dignified employment. Mm-hmm. Was that tied into the fact that people who traditionally drank Yopon were kind of like pushed out? They were, you know, coming from mm-hmm. all different backgrounds and didn't really have the same opportunities other people or, or how did that get built into your business model? Yeah, sure. You know, it's interesting. It wasn't so much out of the the history of the the people that drink Yopon, but actually the plant itself. If you come to our region in Texas, Yopon is a really tenacious grower. Like if you leave a barn abandoned for five years, it will you will have Yopon growing through the walls, like not even exaggerating. And it's just a very hardy plant and would be considered invasive if it wasn't native. <laughs> and so where we are, people have literally bulldozed and burned Yopon because they're trying to clear land for hay or keep it off their fence lines. And so in the same way (laughs) that this plant that has all these amazing benefits has just been really written off for decades and decades in our rural community, that really made us look like, okay, well, there's so many individuals in our community who are marginalized and written off as valuable. And so that's that was really kind of the impetus because it's like, why would we build a company any other way if this is how the plant is viewed? Wouldn't we want to be doing the same? I mean, personally, I think it's the best way to build a business, but it makes a special sense for us. And so we work with probation officers in our rural community. They help us identify individuals want their future to look different than their past for harvesting. And then um, we really prioritize working with women and individuals who have a history of generational poverty in our processing and packaging facility. And so, yeah, we've realized that there's just a need for kind of understanding flexible employment because what we've learned is one of the hallmarks of generational poverty or trying to rebuild your life after coming out of the criminal justice system is that 
<laughs> society is stacked against you. You have to overcome so much and you're going to be living pretty much from crisis to crisis for a while. And what we wanted to do is to be an understanding employer so that the next crisis doesn't have to mark the end of employment, but rather we'll work with you to navigate it and then just offer flexibility in that way. I love that. And you've built that right in to your business. And, you know, when I think of what you're doing for the community from the product perspective and from the people perspective, it's so much more than, mm. you know, just sewing teeth, right? Like it's <laughs> yeah. so much more. And, you know, also a great like fuel behind everything you're doing to, you know, the bigger mm-hmm. you get to make it the larger impact that you get to have on people's lives in so many different ways. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You had mentioned something you'd mentioned. Okay. So this is really invasive. This <laughs> <net. laughs> yeah. it's, it's taken over your bar. It's taken everything. How has that made it really easy for you to source the product? I mean, in some ways we're, we're really helping some of our landowners in their land management, but it is really hard to difficult and really hard to harvest and comes with a lot of difficulties because it is such a tenacious plant. So. Yeah, on one hand, it does make it easier. Um, we've got about 500, I think it's my last organic inspection. I think we've got about 600 acres certified organic, non-GMO and regenerative organic. But we, and we do have a waiting list of people who would like also to be included for us to be able to come, keep coming back to their land. But with that comes all the challenges of really like hand clearing for lack of a better parallel. <laughs> it's, I mean, it's labor intensive. You're out in the elements. Yeah. I mean, a lot of times in the summers, my harvesters, because you know, Texas, it gets to be a hundred degrees for days on end, you know, they'll do really, really early morning harvests, like out there at like 3am to get in a full day before the the heat of the day. So it's tough for sure. Wow. That's, that's intense, but I get it. I mean, that heat, you gotta, you can't be there at one o'clock. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. No, 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 you really can't. So that's interesting. So you have a list, like you have a group, a network of farmers. You've got 500 mm-hmm. farmers right now. They have that are all certified organic. They yeah. have it like on their farm right now because obviously it's organic. They are not mm-hmm. pesticides to get rid of it. So mm-hmm. they can say, hey, you're harvesting this. They win. You know, I don't have this plant on my you know, crop anymore or within my field. And you win because you can then take that and harvest it. I love that cycle. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's kind of interesting what we're, our hypothesis that we're working on right now is that we think, because where we are, it, it traditionally was actually more native grasses. And if you've ever seen like native grasses, their root systems are like five to six feet. And a lot had been removed and replaced with better grasses for cattle, for hay and for grazing, like coastal, which only has like a six to eight inch root system which is what has caused so much of the massive water runoffs. You know, we're upstream from Houston, so we all know Houston floods, and this has a lot to do with it. Also, it isn't replenishing the water table as efficiently. And so what we're actually experimenting with right now is as we harvest is the most sustainable thing to actually be replacing some of the yopon and shallow-rooted grasses with native grasses. And that would actually help keep the yopon more in check and then also help replenish the water table a little bit more. So, you know, trying to figure out how we're working with some hypotheses and testing on that. And then 
see what that could work with, look like at scale. But yeah, so it's kind of interesting to be like, oh, the most sustainable thing would be actually be replacing our crop with something entirely different, which feels <laughs> a little counterintuitive, but better for better for everybody. So yeah, and you really seem like a founder who is like really looking at that larger picture of not mm. just your place in you know society in the you know grocery store, but what is that like larger impact in so many different ways and what is like that almost like utilitarian perspective in terms of the greatest good for the greatest amount of people yeah and I think part of that's a function of the fact that like the opon was largely forgotten because everybody forgot to ask those questions um right and so if we're coming back and trying to vie for the importance of this crop and this amazing beverage then we can't we can't forget those questions either yeah absolutely and so, okay, you have this product that is, we're educating people still on it. Uh, <laughs> yeah. We're educating consumers. Oh, yeah. Like, what is the feedback that you get if you're going into a store? And maybe it's different if you're selling into Texas because, you know, Texas, they it's grown there. They might know it a little bit better. But knowing that you are coming in with a product that doesn't have, you know, widespread awareness, what are some of the objections that you get from retailers or food service that you get about listing it and how have you overcome that? Yeah. So, you know, I think (laughs) there's a lot of, a lot of questions. I mean, what we have going for us is it tastes really good. So if we can get people to taste it, then they're pretty bought in. Um, Or if they hear the full story, but I mean, we've been talking for what, 20 minutes already. Like we don't have time to do that on a like on a shelf or on a box or (laughs) so we've really been fortunate in kind of the timing of the interest so we do have relationships with a fair amount of like farm to table because if you are looking to source responsibly for your restaurant or for your locally for your store or whatever all tea is imported (laughs) so if you are looking for something local this is really the only local option for all of North America. So I think that is is certainly um, a big driver. And then also actually restaurant service really loves it because it's not tannin free. It's really uh, easy to do a super, super long steep. So like we have one restaurant here in Austin that does a four hour hot steep. And so out of one ounce of loose leaf, they're getting four gallons of iced tea, which is a crazy high yield. And so in that sense, the product kind of speaks for itself if we can finally get it into people's hands. And then it also doesn't cream. It lacks the tea clouding or tea creaming properties. So it won't cloud. You don't have to throw it out after the end of the service and also lends itself really well to a ready to drink. So I think, yeah, once we are able to have the conversations, the product really stands out and speaks for itself. Obviously, we're a bit more expensive because we're paying American labor rates all the way through our process. But the yield when you actually go to servings is pretty comparable because it is a much higher yield if you're able to adjust the way that you brew. So that, that's that been really good. And then I think because the education is a huge, huge aspect and probably definitely our biggest challenge, you know, we made the choice pretty early on because we're in a unique position of building both a brand, Cat Spring Neopon, and helping to build this product category of Yopon. And so we really focused more on being a bulk and ingredient supplier at the beginning. So partnering with other tea companies like Harney and Sons, David's Tea in out of Canada, you know, like places that were already selling tea with customers looking for something new and different. And so that was kind of our first 
priority. And then now um, we work with several other bulk and ingredient customers like here, Texas Rambler Sparkling Water just launched an energy drink based on our Yopan. And Greenbelt Kombucha um, has launched a entire Yopan kombucha line. And so that's been been really good. And just to be able to kind of share the burden. Um, and then also for consumers to see Yopan on the shelf in so many different forms uh, really, really helps to move the needle when it comes to awareness. Yeah. The more people that know about it, the more people are going to come and, you know, when they see you on shelf or see you online, they're like, oh, I already know what this is. Cause maybe they have that no like, and trust from another product that they're already, sure. you know, going with, which was great. Yeah. Was that strategically played out in terms of we're going to be an ingredient to help expand the awareness of it as we build our brand? Or was that kind of a result of, we know we have something here right now, but people aren't necessarily buying this product on its own because they don't know about it. Like, did you, you've been in business for nine years. You know, you are an ingredient for a lot of different products. We have great food service distribution and you have your own brand. You know, did you kind of envision that Mm. it would be that journey? Yeah, I think so. (laughs) It's easy to say, (laughs) yes, I was that savvy eight years ago. I knew exactly what I was like. No, I think, you know, partly looking at like, okay, what are, that's one of the ways we've always approached what we are doing. Like, okay, what are our biggest challenges and how can we leverage that to actually be something good? You know, we're really labor intensive. Why don't we use that as a platform for something more than just struggling to find workers? Like, let's use it to be impactful you know, or education is really expensive. (laughs) And as a small brand, you know, I think that's really informed how we approached it. Also by a function of the fact that because of our employment initiative, I'd rather sell by the pallet than by the teabag, even if it's the same margin, because the more that's more jobs that we can create on our production side. And then also because of how intentional we've been in our employment, I know it's not the most cost effective or most efficient way to run a business. But so that's why we actually never raised any funding. And so because I knew I wasn't going to raise funding um, in a typical CPG format, we would never be able to afford the marketing education. So, okay, then let's partner with other people. And selfishly, I love working with other brands. It's just way more fun. And because every brand can focus on a different aspect of Yopan, they can do different things. And I mean, if I had my way, we would have like a million SKUs doing all of this fun stuff. But I've had to learn like, okay, we're going to do one thing. We're going to be best in the world at it. And that is harvesting and producing Yopan. And then we will partner with everybody else for it. Like we don't even do our own blends for that for that reason. Okay. That is a very, that's a very difficult muscle that you have flexed and used in terms of, I know I want to create all these different products and I'm not going to. Because yeah. so many food founders want to just, I'm going to launch a new SKU. I'm going to launch a new SKU. And next thing you know, there's so many SKUs. Yeah. How yeah. have you flexed that muscle? <laughs> how have you, how have you done it? Cause I'm sure a lot of people listening are like, well, no, 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 I've got, I've got 50 SKUs right now, or, you know, I've got 25. And I think if I, you know, get to 30 and, you know, you are a great example of the fact of like focus in on what you do, mm-hmm. do it extremely well, best in class and bring that forward. Yeah. Is there anything that you've specifically done to help uh, prevent shiny object syndrome and, and just like launching new products all the time? Yeah. I mean, I definitely have suffered from it in the past um, <laughs> and, and have done it for sure. Like 
when I had my kid, I wrote a children's book with some friends. Like, I mean, come on. What? You know. But what's it on yoga? Yes, it's actually some characters in Cat Spring that <laughs> they are in the Yopon Forest. And yeah, so it's oh. kind of tangentially related. <laughs> yeah, it's Ralph's Christmas quest. Anyway, yeah, so it's something I've had to learn because it is super easy when you get excited. And there are a million fun things you could be doing. And a lot of them are really good ideas and a lot of them will work. But we just don't have the bandwidth. And I think that's what coming to grips with like prioritizing what I was willing to do. And in order to really make a lot more SKUs successful, I'd have to change our business model. And if I'm going to change our business model, then I'm going to have to raise funding. And therefore, I may end up giving what I think is the most important part of our business up, which is like our approach to employment and our approach to sustainability. Maybe that's different now. And I mean, I know the funding landscape has changed a lot in the last eight years and on what investors are willing to prioritize, but that is not, not, not eight years ago. And so I think that's really kind of forced our hands. Like, yeah, a lot more people know about Yopan, but we still have a long way to go. Like it's not a household name. And I think that's where we get where I'm like, okay, once we get a little bit more awareness, then we can move on elsewhere. But, and I say that, and we will be launching some new forms of Yopan in the next few months. But again, it's still just Yopon. Like that's all we're gonna do. We're not gonna add anything. We're not gonna and 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 also it's it's easy to see like ready to drink would be the most natural progression for us um to do a bottled Yopon. It's I mean ready to drink is how most tea is consumed in the US, but it's an entirely different business model. And so I'd rather partner with people who are already doing that business model and then and do that. Yeah, does that answer the question? <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. It's uh it's tough, especially when you're like an entrepreneur at heart. Um, is this your mm. first business that you've run? Yeah. Okay, got it, got it. Yeah, it sounds like you definitely have this entrepreneurial piece that where you're like, you know, you see mm-hmm. the ideas everywhere and just being focused in on that big vision has allowed you to to stay connected to it and allow you to do what you do really well and let everyone else do what they do really well as well. Yeah. And for better or worse, my husband also is an entrepreneur. And so at least, I mean, I, for our fun dinner conversations, this is so nerdy or like halfway like developing fully fledged business ideas and then walking away from it because <laughs> we both have so much going on. He's on his, or his I don't even know anymore, fifth, fifth company. So we both are just like, all right, well, if we had all the time in the world, then we could do it. But <laughs> yeah, add it to the list of one day we'll do this. And yeah, good idea but, though, you know? He, yeah, but it scratches the itch. Like I don't like totally it all out and then walk away. Yeah, absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> are you able to chat on any of the new product launches that you are diving into, or should we uh, get people to just you know keep an eye out for those as they come? Yeah, I mean, I think I can speak a little bit to it, but we are hoping to launch in the next like two months. But it will be a what we're calling Yopon Crystals. So it is a fully dehydrated, completely soluble in hot or cold water Yopon. So it is nothing but Yopon. And then you just have a little vial that you tap a cap full of crystals into your bottle of water um, or your hot mug of water and have Yopon readily available. And so developed mainly because (laughs) so many people don't have the time to brew tea anymore. And then also just to have it on the go, especially for athletes. They really love the, um, it's a longer release of caffeine. The hypothesis right now, because human 
trials and studies are really expensive <laughs> is that because of the theobromine, theocrine and caffeine together, um, it's a longer release caffeine. So it's going to be more of a, it's a jitter-free, uh, slower burn. <clears throat> so likely because it's released later in the large intestines and small intestines than in your stomach. And so um, it's really good for, you know, like the afternoon slump because you're not going to get the, the spike um, or, you know, a lot of endurance athletes really like it. For, for that reason that makes a lot of sense I'm gonna I need to have this for my afternoon because in the afternoon I'm like I want a coffee but that's not gonna happen um that's yeah. not gonna happen, but no okay that's I love the that new product innovation that makes a ton of sense in terms of making it readily available and you mm-hmm. know like you said like RTD beverage could make sense but this kind of does the same thing but in a in the format that you know which is mm-hmm. you know tea Mm -hmm. in its form and then you go and do it which makes so much sense I love that I think that will drive you know a lot of different uses for certain people who maybe don't want you know loose sleep if they you know don't have time for it they can take that in their hot or cold which makes a ton of sense Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. excited to see that coming out here too (laughs) (laughs) it's been it's been interesting it's been a long time coming because you know we thought about it gosh maybe like five or six years ago but the technology didn't really exist because so much of the instant like teas are actually a concentrate sprayed on a starch. And so they're not as clean. They have a little bit of what I find to be like a bit of a metallic taste. And so this technology only really was developed in the last like five years. Um, and then only has been pretty commercially available in the last few. So yeah, we're excited. You just kind of like keep your like finger on the dial in terms of we know this is a good idea. And once we can get it to this point, we're gonna come back to it. Like, did you continuously like kind of circle back to that? Or or how like why was now the right time in so many ways? Mm-hmm. Other than technology being available. Yeah. Again, I wish I could say it was that intentional. It was more of a like, this would be a really good idea, almost like kind of like what would a matcha look like if I could just dump it in my water bottle without having kind of the sediment. And I'm like, well, I don't want the sediment. So this isn't a good idea. And then walking away from it. And then just kind of, I mean, just by a function of us being a bulk and ingredient provider, we work with co-packers and we work with folks who are doing like concentrates and extracts and all that sort of thing. So I'm pretty aware of what the options are. And so when I heard about this kind of new development, um, thought it was time and you know we're at a different point in our business where we are kind of shifting you know not away from our bulk and ingredient customers because they're going to always be a huge part of where we are but just supporting them and then able to focus a little bit more on our own brand that makes sense that makes sense cool well i love what you're doing everything with the business um everything from how you're sustaining like the community and giving back to the community with your employment to connecting people back to this native tea that has been forgotten and giving people like this jitterless caffeine kick that so many people need. Is there anything else that you want to share with anyone who is thinking of maybe starting a business or is in those early stages of the business in a category that is Mm. unknown right now? Any kind of closing advice or thoughts for them? Yeah, I think the best advice I ever got in starting a company and it was just... I think you can be so paralyzed by choice in the sense that you're looking for the right way to do something. And the, like, there's only one right way to build it. There's only one right way to fund it. Only one right way to do And it's not. There's actually a lot of ways that 
will work. But so to spend a lot of the front end of it with just asking a ton of questions and the whole point of being like, okay, if, if I don't know this much, just to ask as many questions as you can to do MVPs or whatever it is that you can to gather more information to narrow that region of darkness. And then once you've narrowed that region to what feels a little bit more reasonable, then to just go confidently forward in that. Pivot when you can, when you have more information, but at the same time, like don't wait for everything to be right because it never will be. (laughs) And, And then every so often just put everything back on the table because what may have limited you six months ago, a year ago, five years ago, may not be a limiting factor anymore. And you still may be operating under that same limitation. So I think just continually asking the questions. And then in that same way, like if you are doing something that is heavy education, find people to partner with that would be aligned and that value what you're doing. And um, then you can kind of share that burden. Love that. Thank you for sharing. That's great. Great advice. Great (laughs) advice. Abby Ann, thanks so much for sharing about Cat Spring Yopan and your food founder journey. Uh, For anyone who wants to get their hands on some Cat Spring Yopan, where can they find you? Uh, Our website, catspringyopon, Y-A-U-P-O-N.com or Amazon. (laughs) Perfect. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Abby Ann. I look forward to the new product coming out and continuing to watch you grow the category and grow as a food founder. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. That's it for this week, food friend. Thanks for tuning in. If the show helped you in any way, please go ahead and leave a rating or review of the show below. I also want to thank our sponsor one more time, the Food Brands That Sell program, the program to transform how you navigate the CPG industry and ultimately sets you up for success within it. Go ahead and get yourself on the waitlist using the link below, or you can put yourself on the waitlist at foodbrandsthatsellwaitlist.com. Catch you next time, food friend.